All right. If you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to open to the book of Psalms. We will um, get there in just a minute. We're going to finish up our direction series talking about making godly decisions. The point is not just to make good decisions, but to make godly decisions. And so, um, as you've been tracking along with us here, we're wrapping up today. And if, uh, as, as with last, oh, look what happened. What happened when you pull the wrong lever? There's a life lesson in that, I'm sure. Don't pull the wrong lever. All right, let's try this all again. Um, if we were to summarize uh, all of last week in kind of a single sentence, uh, this is what it would be, that God's will is clearly revealed in God's word. And so if you and I are going to be people who know the will of God, we have to be people who know the word of God. If we're going to be people who, um, if we are the kind of people who root ourselves uh, in the Bible, in the scriptures, letting it speak to us where we are, letting it critique us at times, uh, letting, us, letting it encourage us at times, uh, then we will be people who become uh, the kind of people who know God's will. And so here, here's the thing, that because it is clearly revealed um, in his word, his will is clearly revealed in his word, when we align ourselves with what he's already said, then we can trust him for the leadership and the things that we're not so sure about. If we're clear uh, and, and in alignment with the things that are very clear in what he said, then we can trust him for the things where it's still not quite sure, a little murky or whatever. That's where we are. If we obey what God's word clearly says is his will, then we can rest assured that he will give us specific direction when we need it. Um, and today, I want to talk about uh, framing out a decision. And um, it's, it's a lot less formulaic for all of you engineer types in here. I wish I could give you something that was input on this side, out equals output on this side. This is not that, though. Decision-making in relationship with God uh, is not input-output. It's not formulaic. It's much more like a canvas, uh, much more like a, a painting, which you see over here. There's this sense in which uh, the boundaries of it are really important because it, it helps us uh, know um, uh, kind of the, the vicinity in which we should make our decisions. And we'll talk about what those pieces are in just a second. But these, these things that we'll talk about give shape to our decision-making. And I will say that, I say that to say this, because this is not a foolproof thing. Again, it's not a formula from here to there. Um, what it is instead, it's the way of wisdom. Uh, I, I, I'm going to say this again at the end of the sermon, but this is one of the big takeaways. I, I need you to walk away with this. Um, that we should walk with God through our decision, just like we walked with God to our decision. In other words, just because we make the decision doesn't mean we let him go and then kind of move on our own. No, no, no. We walk with God through our decision uh, like we walk with God to our decision. The whole point is a relationship. The whole point is to be connected with him. And so this particular teaching this morning and the frame that we're going to be talking about, the pieces of the frame, it's the way of wisdom as we walk with God. But it is the walking with God part that is the most important. Not a formula, it's a relationship, and I think it's the way of wisdom. So there's four pieces to this frame I want to encourage you to think about um, as you uh, go to uh, land the plane. Sometimes God's word is very, very clear about what his will is. Uh, again, we talked about this last week, uh, being connected to his people, um, uh, living in right relationship with him, uh, being grateful, being pure, submitting to authorities. These are all very clear places in the scriptures where uh, the, the will of God is, is revealed very clearly in the word of God. Uh, but you come along and say, well, that doesn't tell me what to major in when I go off to college. That doesn't tell me who to marry. That doesn't tell me where to live, what job to take, what, what to do in this particular stage of life. 
whatever. Uh, that doesn't tell me any of those things. Right. So then how do we walk in wisdom as uh, as, as that, those kind of questions come. And I think this frame is going to help us. So in Psalm 119 is where we're going to be in verse 105. If you've been around church very long, this is a familiar verse to you. But it starts here, and it always starts here. The, the order is important of how we piece this frame together. And the first piece of that frame is the Word of God. Psalm 119, verse 105. As last week, we're going to do some flipping, so keep your Bible handy, okay? Uh, if you're using the app, all of this is going to pop up uh, here. Psalm 119, 105. Uh, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You get the sense in which God's word helps us see what the next step, sometimes the next two steps uh, maybe. And then as we take those steps, a little bit more gets clear, a little bit more gets clear, a little bit more gets clear as we walk with him. But the important part is that we walk with him. So the question then becomes, how does God's word shape our decision? How does it give us guidance? And there's four ways that I think the, the Bible guides us. First of all, it guides us via transformation. We talked about this a few weeks ago in the first uh, and second sermons uh, of this series. I'm going to say it again. The Jesus is in the business, folks, of changing people's lives. And what is utmost on his agenda, number one priority on his agenda, is your life change. You being transformed from the inside out. So as we commit ourselves to him, as we walk with him, and as we spend time in his word, hearing it and studying it and reading it, being in his word, that transformation happens in our lives. The Bible talks about it this way in Romans 12, verse 2. It says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. And you will then know, you will know what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So as we walk with him and as we are transformed by him, we begin to know what he wants. Why? Because we're becoming like him. That's how, that is the primary way that the word guides us is that it gives us, uh, it transforms us. It's, it's one of the things God uses to transform us as we discipline ourselves to hear, to read, to study, and so forth. Um, secondly, it guides us via the principles that we find as we seek him in it. As we study our Bibles, as we read them, as we're exposed to them, as we hear it preached, it guides us via these principles. What principles are we talking about? Well, something like this. Um, humility is, is greater than arrogance. So if I'm coming on a path, and I've got a choice here between path A, path B. Path A leads me down a, a path that may just may, maybe just maybe, will tend me toward arrogance. There will be great temptation toward arrogance down that path. And, and path B will, will uh, uh, send me towards humility. I may have to think long and hard about which one of those is, is, is for me, which one is going to be best, which one might be uh, the path that God wants me to be on. Because Humility is greater than arrogance. There may be better stuff down the road. I'm not saying you shouldn't take path A. I'm saying I would at least have to think long and hard about it because of the principle in there. Or uh, generosity is better than greed. Or um, selfishness uh, is, is way less, like way worse uh, than selflessness. Selflessness is one of the Bible's key things, right? We live um, not for ourselves, but for him. And so what's the thing there? If I've got a decision here, this is a selfish decision, this is a selfless decision, maybe just maybe God wants to move me uh, down that path. Or maybe it's a decision between this and this, and we find that God responds to our faith. And so one of the questions I ask myself, one of the questions, if you've sat with me as we've prayed about decisions for you, I, I've asked you before, hey, if, if, if one path 
only requires a little bit of faith, and a second path requires a lot of faith, maybe you should consider taking the lot of faith path. Why? Because without faith, it's impossible to please God, is what Hebrews 11 says. We talked about this. These are just principles, principles that we find there. That's how the word guides us. Thirdly, uh, it guides us via discernment of our motives in a decision. It guides us via discernment. The scripture says about itself that it's a two-edged sword, and it is able to pierce down to the very core of who you are, right? I mean, right at the division of, the, of your heart, and it's able to just go right into you and lay out what's really going on inside of you. And so how many of you, if you've spent time in the Bible, have had this, this, this kind of experience where you're reading along, there's something you've been noodling, something you've been thinking about, you're reading along, and all of a sudden you read past a verse or read a story or read a psalm or read a prayer, and it just goes right in the middle of you. And you think to yourself, you just sliced me open. I didn't even see that coming. And now I know what my motivations are. Now I have to reckon with them. Maybe I need to repent of them. Maybe I need to clean them up in some other way. But I I know what my motivations are. God has laid me open. And I I have to deal with him. That's one way that the scripture guides us. That's one way the word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path is that it guides us via the discernment of our motives. And lastly, it guides us via specific applications of the truths that we see there. It guides us via specific applications of the truths that we see there. So I'll just give you a couple of examples here. Uh, In the book of Ephesians chapter 4, about verse 26 or so, it says, be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil a foothold. And so if I'm in the process of making a decision or a decision comes to me and I'm in an angry frame of mind, I may make a very poor decision at that point. Especially if the person that I'm angry at is involved in that decision-making matrix and process. And so what do I need to do? I need to figure out how to deal with my anger and set it aside, number one, so that the sun doesn't go down on it and it doesn't take root inside of me, and secondly, so that the enemy doesn't give, uh, get a foothold in my life. How terrible would it be to be making the decision all the while, or to be making a decision while angry, all the while giving the devil a foothold in my life as I'm making that decision? That would be ter- that's a terrible way to do life. So I didn't need to to figure out what my anger issue is and then deal with that, set it aside however I need to wrestle with that, put it in its proper place and in its proper perspective, um, be angry and don't sin, and then make the decision. Uh, A little bit later down in that same passage, Ephesians 4, um, be kind to, uh, verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God is in Christ has also forgiven you. And so yeah, I'm in a decision point where I've got, uh, uh, you know, kind of path A, path B here. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm still frustrated with somebody in this thing, uh, and especially if they're in the mix of this decision. I'm still frustrated with somebody. I'm holding unforgiveness towards somebody. And the specific application of the Bible for me in that moment is what? Forgive them as Jesus has forgiven you. But I don't want to. Don't care. I, I mean, it, it says, do it. Forgive them. But uh, I'm not sure I'm emotionally ready. Right. So forgiveness is one of those things that pulls your emotions along, right? You choose to do that. And, and then in that decision-making process right there, when you say, God, I'm choosing to forgive, then you are, are free um, to, to, to make these other decisions in, in ways that, that don't have the shackles and shame that go along and all the baggage that goes along with unforgiveness. You, the scripture guides us as it transforms us, as it gives us principles and examples, as it discerns our motives, but also just in very specific applications. There are times when um, you uh, will take the Bible and apply it, and then you will know what to do. You will know what to do. That's how 
the scripture shapes, uh, that's how the word shapes our decision-making process. The second piece of the frame is found in the book of Jeremiah. So if you can turn to the right, to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 33, verse 3. Jeremiah, chapter 33, verse 3. In the book of Jeremiah, in chapter 33, verse 3, it says this, Call to me, and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. And so when we talk about this, the second piece of the frame is the, is the piece of prayer. Jeremiah 33, verse 3, Call to me, that's prayer, and what does the Bible say? And I will answer you, and I will tell you great and many things that you don't know, these hidden things that you don't know. And how many of us have been at a decision point where we've got a path, we've got a path, we've got trying to figure out what's going on, and as we pray about it, things just seem to become clear to us. That's, that's a good thing. That's what God has done. Because prayer is never meant to be a dialogue. Uh, excuse me, a monologue. It's meant to be a dialogue. It's meant to be an interaction with God, a, a conversation with God about things that are mutually important to us, about things that we ca both care about. That's what prayer is designed to be. So how does it guide us? It guides us via our conversation with God. And it is this interactive thing. And so uh, we're coming to a decision point. We're going to set some time aside to pray about this. Maybe a season of prayer. We'll bring some other people in to pray along with us and for us in the middle of this. We're just praying. We're saying, okay, God, here's the decision we have to make, and we're just going to put this before you. And I'm trying to get a sense of um, where you're leading me in this. We commit this to prayer. Call to me, and I will answer you. That's conversation. Call to me, and I will answer you. And if you've been a Christian uh, very long, maybe you've had this experience where as you pray, you just have this prompting or this sense or this, some people call it a voice. What? I mean, just however you talk about it, but you just have this sense that God has spoken to you, this, this sense, this, okay, yeah, I think this is how God is saying this to me. Uh, and so um, when you have that sense, what do you do with that? How do you know whether it's, you know, God, the king of the universe or the spaghetti that you had last night? Like, how do you know which one. And uh, one of my literary mentors uh, was named Dallas Willard. And he says, in order to do this, here's what you need to measure. You need to measure the quality of that prompting of that voice, the, the spirit of that prompting or that voice, uh, and the content, quality, spirit, and content. And here's how I want you to think about these. Quality is this. Um, what, is the, what is its level of authority? When it comes to kind of hearing that voice or having that prompting, what's its level of authority? And moms and dads, you know this. You know that there's a, a difference. Okay, we'll take the word hey, H-E-Y, okay? Um, there's, there's this conversation with your kids, hey, where they walk in, they hey. That could be, hey, how's it going? Or, hey, had the test go? Or, uh, hey, are you hungry yet? Or, uh, you know, uh, hey, I like your haircut or whatever it may be. That's just a simple, hey, hey. Oh, greeting, friendly, right? And then there's this one. Hey! Which can be followed by quit hitting your sister or pick up your socks for the 58th time or whatever it may be, right? There's just this sense. And one of them is just kind of cordial and friendly interaction, and one of them carries some authority, right, where people uh, snap their head up. My kids were in the first service, and when I did this, the kids were, what? Dad? Oh, he's just up there talking. Uh, there's just this level of authority that goes with it. And indeed, listen, we're talking to the king of the universe here. We're talking to our father who rules over everything. And so his voice to us won't sound like a suggestion. It'll sound like, hey, 
It's, it'll have some snap to it because it's designed to get your attention. The, uh, in the book of Psalms, verse, uh, chapter 29, the Bible describes the voice of God as one that shakes the trees and even causes the deer to give birth. Like, that's got some authority to it. I don't know what all that means, but that's got some authority to it. It ought to, there's a little punch to it. And if you have that sense, like God has spoken with this authority, so it may, it may very well be God. Uh, secondly, you, you question its spirit. You, you look at the, uh, you try to get a sense of what its spirit is, meaning what? Is it honorable? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it commendable? Is it excellence? These are things, for instance, that Paul lists in Philippians 4 8. There's plenty of other places we could have turned, but this is just a, a good place to think. Of. Is it honorable? Is it pure? Is it just? Hey, what is it about the, the quality, or excuse me, the spirit of this voice um, that, that speaks to us? D does it sound like these kinds of characteristics? And lastly, content. Um, does it reflect the principles of the Bible? Does it say what the Bible says? Here's the deal. If you're praying, God, I think this, you know, I'm trying to make this decision, and, and, uh, and you get this prompting in you that says to do something else, and you can hold your Bible up and go, but wait a minute, the Bible says not to do that. Then that prompting was not from God. That sense, that voice, whatever you want to say, that was not from God. Because you and I, uh, we can't say, oh, well, God told me to do this. The problem is, he wrote it right here, and it says, don't do that. Well, I mean, but you don't know my situation. See, God, he, he, he kind of excluded me like I'm a special person. You're special, all right. But right over here, it says, don't do that. Don't do it. As a pastor, you can imagine, I've had some very funny conversations, some very awkward things. None of them more awkward than when they claim something from God, and then you open your Bible, you're like, but right here, it says don't do that. Well, right. Or, well, I don't really feel like doing that. But right here, it says go do that. You don't have to pray about that anymore. You don't have to... In fact, anything that the Bible says to go do, you don't have to pray about doing. Anything the Bible says not to do, you don't have to go, is this okay for me? You don't have to pray about that. You just know that God has given us his word. This is why the order is important. We start with the word, and then we, we commit a uh, season to prayer, and we listen for its quality. What is its level of authority? We listen for its spirit. Does it sound like uh, uh, something that the spirit of God would say? And we look at its content. What does, is it saying what the Bible says? Folks, listen. God is not going to tell you to do something that contradicts what he's already said. I promise you that. He's not. Prayer. We commit things to prayer. Again, a time for prayer, a season of prayer. We commit those things um, to prayer. Uh, thirdly, flip backwards to the book of Proverbs, chapter 27. Uh, this one couldn't fit on the side of the screen. I apologize for that. But it's, it's counsel. Proverbs 27. We're going to look at verse 9. Proverbs 27, verse 9, counsel. And let me just go ahead and say, I think probably the better way to put this down is to call it godly counsel. Why? Because you can find anybody, anybody, <laughs> who will tell you what you want to hear at some point. Like you will always be able to find that person who will agree with you about whatever you actually want to hear. What you need is not just counsel. You need godly counsel into your life. So Proverbs 27, verse 9 says this, Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend 
comes from his earnest counsel. So um, you've got friends in your life, people in your life who speak to you, and, and what, what is that? And it, this is the way that godly counsel guides us. It gives us kind of external input into our internal thought process. How many of you have been in a conversation with a friend or somebody, and you're having, just going on about it, and you've been thinking about something, and they didn't even necessarily know you were thinking about it, but they said something, you're like, I know, yeah, I need to think about that, because that was... I hadn't thought about that before. Or, yeah, that's actually good confirmation for me. That's a way for me to think about this that I hadn't thought about before. What are they doing? They're giving external input into your internal thought process. That's how godly counsel leads us and how uh, it, it shapes our decision-making. It says uh, um, it, it's like oil and perfume making the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel, doing what is right for you. It guides us via external input into our thought process. So three sources that the Bible talks about for godly counsel. Number one, community. These are friends, uh, friends who, uh, who love you, friends who love you. They're the kind of people who, uh, when you say, hey, listen, I'm thinking about something. I need to have a cup of coffee or have a, uh, buy you some lunch or something because I need to pick your brain about something. You got people like that in your life where you say, hey, I really need to talk to somebody about this. I need to have you think with me uh, about this. And you just kind of lay out your thing, and they start asking questions and giving input. These are friends who love you. And you know what kind of friends you really need in that moment? Not the kind of friends who will tell you what you want. That's not the kind of friend you want in that moment. Can you back up three verses to verse 6, Proverbs 27, verse 6? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse or deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. So when you... What kind of friend do you want in that moment? You want the friend who's going to look at you over a cup of coffee or over chips and salsa or over barbecue or whatever, and you're going to look at them and say, or excuse me, they're going to look at you and say, hey, listen, I love you so much. This is crazy, though, and I'm telling you that because I'd rather you bruise now than bleed later. Like, I'm telling you because faithful are the wounds of a friend. And I'm not going to be your enemy and just soften you up and butter you up and, you know, just... I'm going to tell you what I think, and here it is. Now, we're going to be friends on the other side of this, but I'm going to tell you what. That's the kind of person you need in your life, a friend who's going to love you. That, that's, godly, that's, a, that's a good source of godly counsel that will help shape your decision-making. The second place um, that the Bible talks about are authorities, people who are responsible for you, bosses, pastors, student pastors, uh, other folks in your life, um, uh, parents and, and grandparents, people who um, you've kind of given some relational authority to because they've got more miles on their tires than you, and so you listen uh, to their voice, a mentor or something like that. You, you just kind of listen to them. You, you, these leaders are responsible for you. Listen to me. God has put them there for a reason. They're a good resource for you, and because they're responsible for you, it's good to bounce the ideas off of them. Hey, what would you think about that? Hey, I was thinking about this. Hey, I was thinking about that. And they just say, hey, you know what? This may be something to think about. Hey, this, may, this part kind of gives me pause over here. I'm not so sure. And you just you bounce these ideas off of them. Why? Because they're responsible for you. That's one of the sources of godly counsel. Community, these friends who love you, um, authority leaders who are responsible for you, and lastly, family, those who have lived with you. Uh, what, what do I mean by that? Those who have seen you, they've walked with you. They know the ins and outs of you. They know when a situation comes up, how you're going to react, and they're telling you about how you're going to react before you react so that you don't react that way. Anybody with me on that? And it just gets completely frustrating because they called you on your stuff before you knew that you actually had stuff, but they knew. And so, well, I, I don't think I'm going to, oh, yes, you are. And sure enough, all, everything in you is kind of 
important. They're like, don't do that. Don't do that. Family who have lived with you. You think about, um, again, spouses, uh, parents, uh, uh, other folks in your life that you would kind of call family who've just walked with you. They've lived with you. They know um, your ins and your outs. They, they uh, know your tendencies. They know your kind of knee-jerk reactions. These are the sources of godly counsel, and this godly counsel shapes the way that we, uh, shapes the way that we make decisions. The last one um, is, is a little difficult to actually quantify, so I'm going to more try to describe it, and it's one of the places that's um, easy to, to describe it. It's found over in the book of Romans, so flip over to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. I know we're bouncing around quite a bit today. Uh, but thanks for hanging in there with me. Romans chapter 15. We're going to look at verse 20 and 21. <clears throat> Romans 15, 20 and 21. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Paul's talking about here. I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who've never been told uh, of him will see, and those who've never heard will understand. It's this sense of calling. It's this sense of calling. For, for Paul, he wanted to preach the gospel, not where other people had been, but he wanted to preach the gospel where people hadn't been. All throughout his ministry, he would roll up into a town, he'd you know, go to Ephesus, and he'd uh, roll up into the synagogue, start telling people Jesus is the Son of God. They'd beat him, uh, people would and throw him out of town, and people would go outside of town to listen to him preach some more. That's just how it went for him over and over and over again. And so Paul writes, to the, book of, uh, writes the book of Romans to the church in Rome and says, hey, listen, I'm coming your way. Why? Because I've got Spain on my mind. Not because, you know, I really want to go to Barcelona. It wasn't even there yet. But because there are people out there in the westernmost part of the known world right now who don't know Jesus. And that's what God has called me to do. I make it my ambition, Paul says, to preach where people have not heard yet. That's what, that's my thing. That's what I do. And so when we talk about uh, this sense of calling, what are we talking about? This, the reason why this, or the reason, uh, excuse me, how uh, it shapes our decision-making is it guides us via our unique um, individual purpose in God's kingdom. Every one of you is unique. Everyone has been put together in, in a unique way. Um, and so this, this uh, um, sense of calling about you is what gives you your unique purpose in the kingdom of God. Um, you see the, little bra uh, the parentheses up on the notes here that, that calling is what helps us understand our context. In other words, how God has uniquely put us together helps us give expression to um, how he wants to use us in ministry. For some of you, you love kids, you're working with kids. Awesome. I had to do preschool chapel the other day just down the hall here, shaking in my loafers, okay? Ask anybody on staff. They're like, what are you doing today? Chapel. Yeah. Why are you shaking? You had too much coffee? No. You know, I just... It's just not my thing. But some of you, that, that's, that's kind of your thing. That's what you do. Here's what calling is not, though. It's not, it's not a wish list. Hey, God, this is kind of who I want to be. Nope, that's, that's not it. It's not, it's not our responsibilities before God. Well, I really don't think I'm supposed to share the gospel with anybody. No, 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 that's wrong. That's wrong. I don't think I'm supposed to support uh, other people with uh, my generosity. No, 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 that's wrong. These are not responsibilities before God. This is not a wish list, and it's not a job offer. It is the one thing that I absolutely have to do. In order for this, to, in order for this calling thing to um, come clear for you and for me, we may have to step back a little bit, and we may need some other people's input into our lives in order to, to really discern what it is. Um, 
and, and then we'll give you this. And sometimes these kind of things, these conversations can be really helpful um, as we step back and as we get other people's help to see it because it really can crystallize some things. So how then do we discern calling um, on our lives? And let me just give you these four components. P-E-G-S, that's how I remember it. P, P, passions. What is it that burns in your heart? I'm talking about wakes you up in the middle of the night and this is what you start thinking about. I'm talking about uh, no matter what your actual setting is or what town you live in or what zip code you have or what job you have, this is the thing that is lit in you and it is not going out. What burns in your heart? Again, some of you just love kids. Some of you, uh, you know, uh, you have given yourself to prayer over and over and over and over and over again and that just burns in you. I think we should pray about this. So good. Passion. What burns in your heart? Secondly, E, experiences. What have you seen? What have you done? Or what has God seen you through? What have you endured? What have you seen? What have you done? Or what have you endured? Uh, I'll tell you right now, one of the things that, uh, she's not in here right now. She was in the early service. My wife is just lit on this. Um, burning in her heart in light of some of the struggles that we've had health-wise with our kids. Anytime she sees a kid in this kind of traumatic moment, her heart just leaps towards them because of what we've seen, what we've done, and what we've endured as a family. Passions, experience, G, gifts. Gifts. How has God empowered you? Every person who's a follower of Jesus has the Spirit of God inside of them, and the Spirit of God gives them spiritual gifts These are not necessarily your talents, although they may be in line with it. They may be completely out of line with it, so much so that it's funny. But uh, either way, it's these spiritual gifts, these things that God has given you to do. And when he empowers those gifts, the kingdom of God uh, comes and the body of Christ is built up. What is it? How has God empowered you? How has he used you in ministry? Sometimes you serve. Sometimes some of you teach. uh, Some of you um, help get things organized. Some of you, uh, hospitality is your thing, and you've always got this it's just hospitality. That's what you do. Uh, and, you know, you go on, on and on and on about these things. But how has God empowered you specifically for ministry? Lastly, S. S. P-E-G-S. Passions, experiences, gifts, and strengths. Strengths are something like, uh, how has God uniquely made you? How has he wired you specifically? Uh, well, I'm really, I think I'm pretty good with this. Well, that, that is a strength that God has specifically put into you, this ability that you have to do this. Well, I like to work with my hands, and I find myself pretty good at that. This is a strength that God has given you, and so you've got this ability um, to do that kind of stuff. Um, but it's not, hear me, it's not just ability. One of the strengths that you may have um, at, at this point uh, uh, may be your station, your stage of life, you know, we don't have kids yet. Well, good. You're more free to do, do some things um, uh, that, uh, that those with kids are not. Our kids are long gone. Good. You, you were probably more free. What? We're raising kids right now. Awesome. What that means then is that you've got this uh, uh, um, freedom and this built-in context to do ministry in a unique way that some of these other folks don't have. So strengths. How has God made you? And, and in particular, what station or stage of life are you in? That can be one of the strengths. I, re- I put those up there, passions, experiences, gifts, strengths, to say this. Um, I was, my wife and I did a lot of conversing about this this week. Um, uh, one of the things that this allows us to do 
If we get this sense of calling, one of the things this allows us to do is to say no to some things. Well, that doesn't... Let's just pause here. Anybody have a hard time saying no? Anybody with me on that? Raise your hand. Be, be happy. Be happy. All of us pleasers in here. Um, if we have a sense of who God has called us to be, then what that allows us to do is to say no to some things. By saying no to some things, what does that free us to do? To say yes to some other things. By saying no to uh, these things that aren't necessarily in our wheelhouse, these things that aren't necessarily in line with our calling, these things that aren't necessarily right where we're uh, in line with our gifts. Um, guess what? That allows us to say yes to some things that are. Passions, experiences, gifts, strengths. Those, those four make up these components of calling. Well, okay, so I've checked where we're supposed to live with the word. It doesn't say anything about the zip code that I'm supposed to live. Uh, prayer, I prayed about it. I'm still not getting a sense. I've asked some people. They're like, yeah, you can go this way or this way. Um, I've got this sense of calling in my life, and it, it, doesn't, uh, it says some things, but it doesn't really answer my question. What then do I do if I have framed my decision with wisdom and I still don't have a real clear sense of, of God saying this way instead of this way? What do I do? If I have... If I put this frame together, what then do I do? And the answer is, you, you make a decision. You just figure out what God has put into your heart. And I say it specifically that way because it's really important that you and I understand this verse in its context. Psalm 37 verse 4 says this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Some people think, if I can get God on my side, he'll give me what I want. That's not what Psalm 37 says. It says, when I delight myself in the Lord, what God does is puts the kinds of desires that he has inside of me in my heart, and my heart beats in sync with his. My desires line up with his. My wanter, if you will, is in line with his wanter, and therefore the things that are inside of me, I find, are from God. So when we frame our decision with wisdom, we have then the freedom to pursue our desires. Why? Because our desires are in sync with God's desire. Sometimes the frame tells us clearly what to do. If, if we frame our decision with wisdom and it still has a blank canvas, then we have the freedom under God um, to, to uh, uh, just decide and, and decide as we will. Here's what we don't have to be. We don't have to be paralyzed by fear. Oh, I hope I don't mess this up. I don't mess this up. And we don't have to be paralyzed by a lack of details. Why is that important? You'll notice on the frame here, where do circumstances fit in? It doesn't. Why? Because sometimes circumstances are how God leads us, and sometimes God leads us despite the circumstances that we're looking at. We frame our decision with wisdom. Then we have the freedom to pursue our desires, and we don't have to be paralyzed by fear, nor do we have to be paralyzed by lack of detail. If God showed you everything that was going to happen in the next seven days, you think you'd freak out? I promise you, you would. So he's only going to show you a little bit, right? He's only going to show you just a little bit at a time, what you need to know for that day. But we get to frame our decision with wisdom, and then freedom is ours to pursue our desires. So what then is our responsibility? These two things, and then we're going to stop. The glue that holds the frame together is for you and me to be quiet enough 
to hear God. Number one, you and I are responsible for being quiet enough to hear God. That's the glue. That's the glue. In our age of distraction and um, emails and messages and Snapchats and Instagrams and Facebooks and every other, set those things down, to put them to the side, to shove them into a drawer, and, and to be quiet enough to hear God. It's a challenge but it is our responsibility nonetheless. Secondly, as I said earlier, the second part of our responsibility is this, to walk through our decision with God like we walked to our decision. When we make our decision, we don't just drop him, oh, thanks so much, and then move on. That's not what this is. We're in a relationship, right? So we're walking with God through this decision just as we walked with God up to the point. Those are our two responsibilities. As we frame our decisions with word, prayer, godly counsel, and this sense of calling, God then can lead us into the things that he has for us. And the way of wisdom, the way of wisdom is way better than anything else uh, that you and I uh, could come up with on our own. That's, that's where we need to be. So we're going to take a moment to pray.